Welcome to Healthcare Experience Matters. This podcast is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation. And with today's episode, we're teaming with PRC. This podcast is dedicated to transforming the healthcare experience so that every person can receive and deliver the best care. We are back here on Healthcare Experience Matters talking with Dr. Cynthia Clark today. She is the founder and consultant of Civility Matters, and she is Professor Emeritus with Boise State University. And joining us today from Boise, Idaho. Welcome to the show, Dr. Clark. Thank you. Thank you so much, Casey. It's really a pleasure to be with you today. And I just want to greet everyone and say hello and and thank you all for being here. Awesome. So let's start it out with you introducing yourself to our listeners. And just tell us a little bit about your professional background and what you currently do. Okay, yeah, thank you. So as you mentioned, I'm the founder of Civility Matters, and that's really an initiative that is um, in place for us to create and sustain what I believe to be um, a goal of healthy work environments, vibrant work environments, places where we want to be um, that bring us some joy, where we feel like we belong, where we feel heard and valued. So um, in my early days, I worked as a behavioral health nurse. My specialty was in adolescent health and mental health, and I was a nursing professor for 20 years. So um, for the past two decades, or maybe even a little bit more, my, re- my research agenda and my practice has really focused on ways that we can develop evidence-based uh, methods, interventions, research instruments, all of that with the goal of preventing measuring and addressing uncivil behavior with the goal of creating healthy work and learning environment. So um, I'm really deeply committed to that. Definitely. And this is an important topic. And we are super excited to jump into it now with my line of questioning. And I'll kick it off by asking you, just define civility for us and why it matters in your opinion. Well, that's been an intriguing question and one that I've had great curiosity about for a long time. So um, back in 2008, a colleague and I completed the first concept analysis on civility because we were really trying to figure out what does it even mean? Uh, What can we uh, glean from uh, scholars from all around the world, from, from different countries, from different disciplines? And so the concept analysis has uh, uh, one of its goals being to develop an operational definition. So back in 2008, we discovered that civility really is an authentic respect that we express and uh, show to one another. And it involves time. It involves us to be present and a willingness to engage in genuine discourse and to seek common ground. And then when go- covid I began to get curious again. Um, Do we understand civility still in that same way? So once again, my research team and I embarked on um, a revisiting of that concept analysis and uh, again learned uh, in our publication that we just published last year in 2022 that what we learned about civility is it's really a choice. It's a decision that we make every single day with every encounter 
on how we're going to interact and, and behave with one another. And we do that because we want to create connection in respectful ways, um, particularly perhaps in times when we disagree. And so it's really showing that respect for the dignity and the well-being of others. And I often say this, that um, civility is not about liking. It's not synonymous with liking. For example, if you and I like each other, that's a bonus, but it really is not required for us to treat one another with the respect and the dignity that each of us deserves. So if we were to think about civility within our work environments, what might that look like? And we would see things like collaboration, collegiality, high-performing teams, treating one another in a professional way, stepping up, doing our part, serving on committees, sharing the workload, and pitching in for the collective work that needs to be done. And I would say also managing conflict in a constructive and meaningful way. That's very well said, Dr. Clark. So at the beginning of the interview, I introduced you as the founder and a consultant with Civility Matters. So tell us about Civility Matters. Civility Matters is just me, uh, a one woman. Um, oh, how shall I put it? A one woman show, I guess, where my work really is to um, work with businesses, mostly academic schools of nursing and other health sciences, uh, practice environments with nurses, physicians, and others to help them uh, maybe improve the health of their workplace and to take it to the next level. That's awesome. And I will provide more information in the description of today's podcast, how folks can learn more about Civility Matters and, of course, get in touch with Dr. Clark. So, Next question, I'm going to ask you to describe incivility and other workplace aggressions, and then I'll have you discuss their impact on individuals, teams, organizations, and of course, patient care. Yeah, so that, that's a lot. So I'll try to be as succinct as I can. When I think about incivility and other workplace aggressions, I often consider those uh, plotted, those behaviors plotted on a continuum. Um, so if you think about the left side of the continuum, those would be things that might be less disruptive forms of workplace behavior, sort of niggling, irritating things. Um, and then if you go all the way to the right side of the continuum, we're going to see things like acts of violence or tragedy, perhaps a campus shooting or a hospital shooting, which, which would, is just horrible, of course, and then all those behaviors in between. So if we go to that left side of the continuum, some of those behaviors might be nonverbals, like eye rolling or finger pointing or door slamming or arm waving, or maybe walking away from a conversation before it's over. And if I do that with a neighbor, for example, that might be you know, rude on my part, but nobody's gonna die. When we do that, kind of behavior, when we withhold information, when we stay silent, when we walk away, there can be very dire consequences, um, not only on the team, of course, but especially patient safety. 
So even that left side of the continuum, Casey, um, troubles me a great deal because those kinds of behaviors, particularly if patterned over time, can escalate and cause some real damage. So if we move along that continuum, we see things like microaggressions, microassaults, spreading rumors, negative gossip, pitting colleagues against one another, um, name calling, making demeaning or belittling remarks, and putting us down for any number of reasons, our race, our ethnicity, our age, our gender, our abilities, whatever those might be. And we're seeing more um, incivility or cyberbullying occurring in uh, digital and social media sites. And I often say that incivility is not only what we do, but what we don't do. Like, as I mentioned, staying silent, not speaking up, failing to acknowledge or support a coworker, ignoring them, marginalizing them, withholding that important information that's needed for patient care. Because the link between incivility and some of these other behaviors um, and their impact on patient outcomes is well documented, um, resulting in things like uh, life-threatening mistakes or uh, treatment or medication errors, delayed care, adverse events, uh, near misses, and the beat goes on. It also has an impact, you mentioned, on teams and individuals and organizations as health workers, it has and these behaviors impact our clinical performance, our ability to make uh, sound clinical judgments. It heightens moral distress and burnout. It weakens collaboration and teamwork. Um, it decreases morale and increases intent to leave. And it increases also our vulnerability to health and mental health issues particularly um, during this worldwide mental health crisis. So the impacts are significant and far-reaching. And, and what individual and organizational actions can be taken to help civility from further eroding in healthcare? Yeah, I love that question because I just recently, um, my, my most recent uh, book that was just published um, in that book, uh, in part of it, what I try to identify is sort of categorically speaking, what are some individual uh, actions or competencies, as you asked? And secondly, what are some organizational or uh, system-wide or structural, structural kinds of competencies? And so there are, are many, as you can imagine. So I'll highlight just a couple. I'll start with individual. First of all, I think that each of us really needs to um, take a deeper uh, look at ourselves, becoming more self-aware, heightening and improving our emotional intelligence, uncovering and deconstructing our blind spots or our biases, and truly assessing how our behaviors or our interactions might be impacting our workplaces and the people in them. Um, another competency is to listen well, listen to learn, listen to understand, rather than listening to jump in and express our own point of view. 
Another is one of my favorites, which I um, uh, identify as assuming goodwill. In other words, rejecting the notion that another person has a hidden agenda or they're out to get us. Instead, reframing our beliefs to, to mitigate those negative emotions and faulty assumptions. Um, and one way to do that is just being mindful, asking ourselves a question perhaps, what might it be like for that other individual right now? What might they be experiencing? What might their journey be like? This puts us in a mindset of collegiality and empathy and goodwill. And of course, there are, there are many other individual competencies. As far as organizational, one of the ways that I like to conceptualize this is back, I think, in 2009, I first conceived and began to develop what's now called the Pathway for Fostering Organizational Civility, which has a series of steps that organizations can take in order to uh, improve their, in, uh, not only their workplace, but that it's not a one and done and there's sustainability around ways to do that. And I can go through those steps or I can just emphasize that having a framework or a structure in place to be able to do this, um, even though it's messy and complicated and dynamic, it gives us um, kind of a, a pathway, which is why I call it that, of how we might go about taking our workplace to the next level and making it a healthier and more joyful place for all of us to be. That is an inspiring message. So let's talk leadership. Um, how can leadership do a better job of nurturing a culture of civility within our healthcare institutions? Well, I absolutely love this question because I mentioned um, when you asked me to say a little bit about myself and I said that I was a professor of nursing for 20 years and I taught many classes, but my very, very favorite class and the one I taught for all of those 20 years was leadership and management um, in nursing and in healthcare. So I tend to look at the world through the lens of leadership. Um, and I, and by the way, uh, with your last question, organizationally speaking, that's the first step on the pathway is that we need to enlist leadership support. Um, we need leaders to model the way. We need leaders to exhibit the behaviors and attributes of what my students and I once termed peak leadership, which stands for P is for principled, E is for ethical, A is for authentic, and K is for kindness, that we show compassion in our role as leaders and that not be a sign of weakness, but in fact, a sign of strength to extend um, that sort of relationship of kindness and compassion to those around us. So I believe that leaders also need to provide ongoing multifaceted uh, education and professional development around these issues, making workplace health a priority, putting teams in place to be certain that the mission is accomplished, developing and implementing and widely disseminating um, 
a clear roadmap or guidelines, policies and procedures of how we address these behaviors if we see them in our workplace. But I also add to that being certain that those guidelines or procedures or whatever also reward the kinds of behaviors that we want to see. I think there's so many more, um, but I wanted to put one more um, idea forth and it comes, um, it's just top of mind so much uh, around the idea of clinician well-being. And um, I'll just mention the recent publication last year in 2022 from the National Academy of Medicine that have developed a, a national plan for health workforce well-being. And I highly recommend that people take advantage of that fabulous publication because there are several priorities and recommendations, um, one of which is to provide um, adequate mental health services, making them available, easily accessible, dignified, paid for, and that all health workers are encouraged and learners, our students in, in our health sciences, be encouraged to use them. So I think the role of leadership is critical at all levels of the organization. Well, that was awesome. And Dr. Clark, thank you again so much for your time today. And I look forward to maybe having you back on the show again. I would love that. Thank you very much, Casey. And thank you everyone for joining us. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Healthcare Experience Matters. Healthcare Experience Matters is brought to you by the Healthcare Experience Foundation with today's episode teaming with PRC. To learn more, visit healthcareexperience.org. That's healthcareexperience.org.